like Jesus said. And uh, Rob is a man of God. He's a man of God. He has gone to that uh, Mexico trip with us. Um, he does so many things here in the community. He does so many things uh, just to serve the Lord and say, Lord, like, I'm a, I'm a vessel. Lord, I surrender my life to you. Lord, I'm doing all these things not to, like, win over your love, but because you yeah. loved me, man, I'm going to pour out. And so, Rob, you're a man who just pours out, and you're so humble, and you call me sir, e even though I'm not going to yes, say how old you are. Uh, but you call me sir out of just respect and love and humility. And so I just want to thank you so much for that. And uh, just real quick, Rob is, uh, he's part of our church council, which means he's a elder of our church, a lay leader, a lay elder, a lay pastor. Uh, and I'm so grateful for his wisdom um, because you're just so wise and so humble. And you always remind me and you remind us to pause, pray, process, and then make a decision. And so I'm so grateful for you. And so I'm grateful to be sitting under you uh, and your preaching. And so, Rob, thank you so much. So can we give Rob a hand yeah. real quick? Thank you. Thank yeah. you, Mr. Well, thank you. It is absolutely a privilege and honor to be with you today. And um, uh, the code is not a fashion statement. It's uh, at my age, I'm not really worried about fashion, more about comfort, but uh but um, definitely um, love being here with you guys today. Misael, thanks for sharing about the trip this last week. Thank you for going down and loving on our friends in Mexico. We had a pretty good group that went down there. Um, Hunter was one of them as well. And so thank you guys for loving on them and uh, just being with them. It's a very hard work there. I also want to thank Jesus and the band who is helping us today to worship. I don't know about you guys, but I was ready for an invitation uh, during our singing time. So thank you for leading us in worship. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's not anything Jesus or Misael or anybody else is trying to produce. That's God working in us. So thank you. I'm, I'm thankful to be here. Um, I did want to introduce myself a little bit, and Misael's already told you some about me. My wife is here, Dana, and we've been married 39 years. Um, she's still trying to see if it's going to stick, I think. Um, but um, I pulled the wool over her eyes. Sometimes she'll roll her eyes at me. You know, I'll do something. If you're a guy, can I get a witness that you do stupid things at times? And I do all the time. And uh, Dana will roll her eyes at me, and I'm like, well, you're the one that said yes. <laughs> I was the one who asked, and so good for me for asking. But, um, but blessed in that way. We had three children. All of them are married. We have now five grandchildren. One of them will be two weeks old tomorrow. So we're going to go see them, see him this afternoon. We're blessed with all of our children serving in their churches where they are. And that's such a blessing um, for parents to see their children following after God is such a blessing, and I don't want to take that for granted as well. Um, but thank you um, for the introduction. You just, um, that was very kind of you. And I appreciate getting to serve alongside each of you. We all are in this together. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. I did want to say one more thing, too, before we jump in here. But um, do we have any veterans in the room? And if you would, would you stand up, if you don't mind? Um, we just want to thank you guys for your service. That was, uh, Friday was our sir, was uh, Veterans Day. Thank you, sir. I'm sorry. I was looking over here, but good to see you. What branch were you in, sir? I'm sorry? Army? Army. All right, good. Army. Christian? 
Army and Dale. Navy and Marines. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. He's a twofer. So thank you guys for serving. Thank you so much. So... Um, also this week, we, we had an interesting week because of elections. And it's interesting that we're in a passage today to talk about religious liberty. As we jump into this, we'll talk about it. But think about the elections that just went on. Maybe they didn't quite work out the way you'd hoped. Um, maybe there's people in power right now that you're kind of like, that's not a good person. Um, maybe you don't agree with them. Um, and, and in reality, it probably is the case um, for a lot of us. I mean, you just pick it. Uh, we had a group go recently to Washington, D.C., and they spent some time with Senator James Lankford. And they said that was the best part of being in Washington, D.C., was spending time with him. And there was a prayer breakfast talking about what all's going on up there. We need to be praying for these guys as they lead us there. But as we think about this, I want us to transition into our passage. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And we're going to talk about some things of how God talks about what we ought to be doing with the events of the day like they are today. So if you would, I'm just going to read this passage. Um, if you would stand in honor of God's word, I would appreciate that. I think that's due because it's his word. It says here, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. First of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Let's pray. So, Father, we do come before you again, and we do this in Jesus' name. We thank you for your word, that your word is our firm foundation. It is truth. And, Lord, I pray now that you would prepare our hearts and our minds to receive your word and that you would speak to us through your word, teach us from your word, help us to understand it, apply it to our lives, and then to live it out throughout this week and throughout our communities, throughout our families, wherever you lead us. Pray that you would be glorified and honored through that. Lord, I pray that your spirit would just fill this room. And that you'd lead us and guide us at this time. And I pray you are the one that is glorified and honored in all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Okay, so we're in 1 Timothy here. And as we think about this, it's real important. One of the things I always, I think is very important for us is to understand context and culture. What's going on when this was written? Okay, so who wrote it? It's the Apostle Paul, okay? The Apostle Paul wrote it. That's a pretty simple deal. He introduces himself right up front. But we see that part. We see also that he writes it to a guy named Timothy. Now, Timothy is a younger believer that he has been discipling. They're apart right now because he left Timothy in Ephesus, one of the places where they were going on their missionary journeys. And really, Timothy's job as a young guy was to refute or to stand against false teaching. And he's to get things in order there. Um, We see lots of things. Timothy's a really interesting guy to study. We're not going to be able to spend time on that. But it's interesting to see how God works through Timothy even and Paul to mentor Timothy in all of that. It's written around A.D. 64. Now, timing is an important deal because it helps us to understand the culture of what's going on. So when you read it, you're going, oh, okay, this is what he's talking about. So the culture is that Rome is in power. 
has been in power for a while. There's a guy named Caesar who's the king of Rome, and this guy's name actually is Nero. Nero is a pretty bad guy, okay? So he's the ruler of, he's the world power, ruler of the known world, and um, he's actually credited with uh, burning down part of Rome. There was supposedly, the story is that there was an older part of Rome, he wanted to burn it down and rebuild it all to his glory. And uh, in the process of that, there was a huge revolt, and so he blamed it on Christians. And as a result, there was a huge persecution, a large persecution that came out against Christians, and Nero led the charge by killing Christians. He had them, um, he crucified them, he burned them at the stake, or burned them while they were alive, and then also fed them to wild animals. So it's a really gruesome deal. But this is the guy that is in charge right now when Paul writes this letter. He's also going to be the guy in charge when Paul eventually gets arrested another time and eventually executed. This is the guy. And so I want us to think about this. When we think about religious liberty, have you guys heard that term before? Around elections we hear it. A lot of times it can be confusing because people use it in different contexts. But what's interesting about religious liberty for us is that as a believer in Jesus Christ, you have freedom to worship God. And that freedom is to be obedient to what God has for you. Now, are there going to be some complications along the way? Could you be even... uh, out of the law in some way. It might be illegal to do something that God has told you to do. If it's something good, the law could speak against that. But you have the freedom to do it. You know, even in schools, and you guys know this, they've said in schools, you know, you can't pray in schools. You can't read the Bible. Now, I grew up a long, long time ago. I think I was before statehood when I went to elementary school. But they had, um, we had a deal. You quoted the Lord's Prayer. First thing in the morning, you did the Pledge of Allegiance, and, um, and it was, that was every day. I remember that in fifth grade. My teacher also was an older lady, and she would give you what she called, she wouldn't give swats, she gave love pats, and, uh, and that's really what they were. <laughs> it wasn't much to them. But I just remember, we would do the Lord's Prayer every day. We would do the Pledge of Allegiance. You know, that's not as common today as it used to be. And... And there's some things that we need to think about even in religious liberties. That even in a place where they say you can't pray in schools, what's keeping you from walking down the hall praying to yourself? If you can't share the gospel at your workplace, what keeps you from praying for those people around you and planting little seeds of what God's doing in in your life? There's nothing keeping you from doing that. You know what we don't want to do? There's a, there's a saying, you know, I have the freedom to swing my fist as hard as I want, but as soon as it hits your nose, that freedom kind of went away. And why is that? Because I just violated somebody else, right? And so the same thing can happen to us in our religious liberties. We can take that so far that we violate somebody else's space, somebody else's person. You think about, I remember seeing this before, but you'd see people downtown Tulsa, and they're out there at lunchtime, and they're what we call them Bible thumpers. They're, on, they're preaching God's word, and they are 
pretty belligerent about it. And I often wonder, how much traction do they get? You know, the Bible says God's word does not go out void, but is that really the best way to interact with our culture? But what's keeping you from doing that? Not to be the Bible thumper, but to be praying for those around you. To be planting seeds around them. You know what? If you don't go through the Roman road with everybody you cross paths with Monday, God uses other things. Let's just be obedient to do what we're called to do, right? And let's be witnesses for him. You know, there's a, there's a saying, I, I forgot who said it now, I'm sorry. But it was, um, if you're, I'm going to spend too much time on this, I've got to watch out because I really got off script, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but if you're going to um, share the gospel always and when necessary, use words. That's the saying. Share the gospel always and when necessary, use words. What's that mean? First off is you should have a lifestyle that supports the fact that you're a Christian. As a re- in religious liberty, that's what we ought to look like. People ought to be able to convict you of being a Christian just by your lifestyle. Not because of everything that you're saying on a regular basis. But the saying is incorrect in this way. Because it's always necessary to use words. Otherwise, they're going to eventually say, wow, that's such a nice guy. Right? They need to know what our hope is in. And so, chase that down a little bit. But we are protected under religious liberty in the First Amendment. And there's a separation of church and state. I want to encourage you with this. I, I've definitely been a proponent. Yeah, we ought to be a Christian state. We ought to um, say Christianity is the religion we do in the United States. The challenge with that is in Mexico, where Misael where just went and Hunter just went. They have a national religion. And it is not Christianity. And so Christianity is tremendously persecuted there. They don't have those religious liberties that we experience here. And so it's important that we, religious liberty includes, I'm free to worship the ways that I want to worship, but also other people are free not to worship if that's what they choose to do, or to worship something else if that's what they choose to do. We are called to live a life in front of them, a godly life, and to pray for them and to lift them up, to encourage them, to be a witness to them. And I want to encourage us in that way um, just to do that. So let me move on with our passage here. Let's start breaking it down. And as we look at this, um, starts off with, first of all then, and what's saying there is it's therefore. Therefore, what that means is um, we got to look back. What's it there for? I've heard it said that way before. In, so in chapter 2, verse 1, first of all then, or therefore, if you have the New King James Version, as we look back to 1 Timothy verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 18 and 20, it says this, Timothy, my son, I am giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you so that by them you may strongly engage in battle and having faith and a good conscience Uh, I'm sorry, battle, having faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and have suffered the shipwreck of their faith. Hymenaeus and Alexander are among them. I have delivered them to Satan so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. 
So Hymenaeus and Alexander, how would you like to be, have your name written in the Bible forever? It's 2,000 years. These two guys got documented. Some of these guys in the Bible get documented for really great things that they do. These two guys get documented for something they didn't do so well. It's like this continuous reprimand, right? But what happens with them? They become believers in Christ, but the persecution is so hard at their time where they are that they're like, you know what? It's a lot easier for us just to go along. And so they stepped away from their faith. You know what? We see that in Mexico a lot. Our friend there, Jose Luis, has been able to lead several people to Christ, but within a month or so, they've lost their job, their families have disowned them, that they eventually get to a point of just saying, you know what, I'm going to go back. What a tough thing to do. So I don't want to beat up on Hymenaeus and Alexander that much, but the fact is all of us probably are tempted to kind of go along at times, but we're called not to do that. In our religious liberty, we need to stand for Christ. So what's the Bible say about persecution? 2 Timothy 3.12, is that up here then? Thank you so much, guys. You're doing great. I'm telling you, they got these notes this morning, okay? <laughs> and Jesus went over there, got them all lined out and typing them up. So you guys are amazing. I wasn't expecting that to be there. But it says in 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You know, let me ask you this. As a believer in Jesus Christ, do you feel like you're persecuted in any way? Now, our persecution in the United States isn't quite as bad as it would be in other parts of the world where maybe you're fearful for your life, that type of persecution. I've heard our pastor, uh, Chris Wall, say it this way, that in other parts of the world, people fear the fist. In the United States, we fear the raised eyebrow. Kind of like, Really? You believe that? <laughs> and it, isn't that crazy? And we need to be thinking about, if we're not facing persecution, am I living for God? Am I really doing what he's called me to do? Matthew 5, 10 through 12 says it this way. This is part of the um, Sermon on the Mount. It says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Romans 8. This is uh, one of my favorite passages, verse 35. And it starts off with, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or danger or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ. You know, even in the worst persecution, we don't have to worry about what's going to happen because we win in the end. 
Uh, we heard a guy the other day, I thought it was really funny, he's a Kentucky fan, he was at our church, and uh, he said, um, he's Kentucky basketball, University of Kentucky basketball fan. And right after he got married, they're watching this basketball game, and he is all over the place like he normally would be, and his wife came to him and said, hey, can I talk to you? And he goes, yeah, after the game, you know, newly married, another stupid thing guys do, yes, after the game. Not going to work out for the guy, though, is it? All right, <laughs> and so you're not going to enjoy the game. So she's kind of um, a little, no, we're going to need to talk now. Okay, what's going on? And she said, you're scaring the dog. And it's like, well, why, why are you saying that? And you're yelling at the TV. I'm just cheering my team on. And his wife says, they can't hear you. Okay, so then... Uh, she, she said, you're yelling at the coach. Well, I just want him to know. He's got these other players on the bench. I'm just trying to help him out, encourage him. He can't hear you. Went on to say, uh, you're yelling at the refs. Yeah, I just want him to get it right next time. He goes, they can't hear you. And he, he started thinking about it, and he decided, and this is kind of weird, and he probably does need some therapy over this or some sort of counseling. But what he does is he records all the Kentucky basketball football game, or basketball games. He waits to hear the score. If they win, he watches the game. And, you know, he said, hey, if we're down by 10 points at halftime, I'm not too worried about it. We won the game. Hey, there's a bad call. Not too worried about it. The clock's not being run out. Not worried about it. You won the game. I already know. Still enjoy watching the game. Don't yell at the TV anymore. You know what, guys? As Christians, we win at the end because of what God has done for us, what Jesus did for us and has done for us, that he is the victor. And it's not a contest, guys. This is not something between Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker, okay? It's not a good and evil thing and the force be with you. God is the creator and sustainer of all things. Everything, did I say all things, okay? Satan is a created being. He's not as powerful as God. So we win in the end. Does our faith rest in that? It goes on here and it says, I urge you with that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. That prayers, or petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone. As Christians, do you know that you are the most powerful when you're on your knees? Prayer is the number one thing. I was reading uh, recently, and it's, it was kind of, it was an aha for me. How often we pray in a service? How often do we pray in church? That's huge for us. James 5.16 is going to be up on the screen. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it works. Now, some of you may say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian, but I don't know how righteous I am. You know what? If you're a Christian, you are righteous. And why? Because the Father declared you righteous the moment you trust in Jesus Christ. You may not be living like it, but the fact is you are. We need to live up to who we are in Christ. We are righteous before him. Not only did God the Father declare you righteous, but Jesus Christ imputed you with his righteousness, kind of like a robe. You are righteous. Even if you're kind of off in the weeds, you know what? 
Let's get our eyes back on him. Let's pay attention to who we are. Let's live up to who we are. It says to have petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving. And when you think about petitions, what it's talking about is an earnest request. That we're making earnest requests. And who are we praying to? But to pray to God. To address God. And that's who our prayers go to. The intercessions is to approach God on someone else's behalf. That we're lifting up the needs of other people. You know, um, there's another place in Romans 8 It tells us, you know, we don't know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit intercedes for us in accordance with God's will. Sometimes your prayer needs to be Do you ever feel like that sometimes during the week? You're like, okay, God, I know I'm supposed to pray, but you know what? I don't know what to say. Can I encourage you to do one thing? Thank you, Lord. Don't know what I'm thankful for, but thank you. Thank you. And And I've had that happen to me before, and I'll be sitting there at my desk at my house, and I'll look down and go, oh, um, Thank you for your word. Yeah, that's good. Oh, and, and for your spirit that you placed in. Thank you for your spirit. And it starts a snowball effect. Because sometimes we get overcome by our circumstances. Do you guys feel that? And you're like, I don't know how to pray. The Holy Spirit does know how to pray. And sometimes we just need to set quiet and focus on him. Knowing that the Holy Spirit's interceding for us. You know what else? Jesus Christ is interceding for you. says he sits at the right hand and intercedes for us. So um, it goes on in verse 2, for kings and all those who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness. So, I'm sorry, in all godliness and dignity. So it's going to call out specifically that we are to pray for our leaders, for our civil authorities. Now that might, we're not supposed to pray Um, we're supposed to pray specifically. Let me put it that way. We pray specifically for our leaders, for those in civil authority. What are some of the things that we ought to pray for them? We're going to talk about that here in a second. But but we need to be praying for them. It it ends verse 1 with everyone, and that includes those we don't agree with. That might even be someone at work or at school, in your community, that you're like, I really don't like that guy. You may not ever say that, but you know it because as soon as they walk in the room, your blood pressure went up, right? That might be one of those things. That's a time to say, Lord, help me with that situation. We're to pray for them. How are we supposed to pray? Verses 3 and 4, I'm sorry, I jumped ahead on that. Um, I went way ahead. I skipped a page, but that's good because I was behind. So a specific prayer, that specific prayer is for salvation, that they would trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that second, they would know the truth about God, that third, the wisdom and discernment they would have to make decisions. The Holy Spirit would speak to them and work through them, and sensitivity and leadership of the Holy Spirit in their life. We ought to be praying those things for them. So, uh, and why is that? Why should we do that? Verse 3 and 4 tells us, This is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is good. And it pleases God our Savior. That's why we ought to do it. 
And why? One thing that we know about God's will, he wants everyone to be saved. Just not everyone's going to trust him. And definitely that's where we're at. That's why we have to share the gospel with people around us. We have to live it out. We have to use our words when it's appropriate. And I'm not trying to get you in trouble at work or anything like that. But you know what? There's things you can do and we should do to represent him well there. Um, so where are you today? Are you frustrated with the political climate? Because maybe you don't quite agree with some of the people that might have just got elected into office. Um, maybe you're frustrated with some of the laws that are being made. Maybe that's it. You know what we need to do is we need to be praying for our country and for those leaders, for those civil authorities. And I, I want us right now to practice that. So right where you're at, I want us to pray. I'm going to ask you to pray silently, and I'll close this here in a moment. But I want you to think about this. And, and definitely, if you want to move around to pray, that's okay. You don't have to stay right where you're at. But think about this. Pray for the leaders and civil authorities for their salvation. Pray that they would know the truth of who God is. Pray for wisdom and discernment for them. Pray for sensitivity to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in their lives. You know what? God can use anybody. Even if they haven't trusted in him, he still can use them. And so let's be praying for them. So pray for those in authority. Pray for these newly elected officials. And I want to encourage you also, pray for our pastoral staff that lead this body of believers. Uh, this week, Chris Wall and Joe McKean are going to be at the Oklahoma Baptist Convention. Joe's leading music. Chris is the president of Oklahoma Baptist, and he's got to preach one of the times there. So pray for them as well. So let's pray, and I'll wrap us up on this in just a moment.